Presented by the United States Sentencing Commission, this is Sentencing Practice Talk, a regular podcast for federal sentencing practitioners covering topics of interest. Here is your host, Rachel Pierce. Well, good morning and welcome back to Sentencing Practice Talk. Uh, This is, I'm Rachel Pierce, and I'm joined again by Pete Madsen. Good morning. Good morning. This is the second installment in our three-part series of Emerging Technologies. And in the previous installment, you mentioned Bitcoin once. You just mentioned it one time in 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 passing, (laughs) in one of the examples that you were giving us. And so today's installment is going to, it's all about Bitcoin, right? You're going to teach us what it is. Uh, how it, where it comes from, how you use it. I still, and we've had conversations about this, Peter, <laughs> and have. I still don't quite understand it. Um, but that's okay, I don't need to. So why don't you tell us about Bitcoin? All right, Bitcoin. Well, Bitcoin is a form of cryptocurrency. It can be best defined as digital currency that only ele- only exists electronically. I think when I've done some of these trainings in the past, I've brought up a couple different images, and there's these gold shiny coins. With That's f- what I think of, right. to be honest with you. <laughs> and I think the first time I saw Bitcoins, I'm like, how do I get my hands on those? They look cool. It's got this B with a dollar sign yeah. going through it. Um, those don't exist, Rachel. Oh, uh, man. And to much to my demise, <laughs> they don't exist, period. Um, so what you see when you Google Bitcoins on Google or Bing actually is, uh, I guess it's all for show. Mm-hmm. So in its digital form, though, it can actually be sent anonymously from one person to another. There's no central bank. There's no central issuing authority or political institution that actually controls the amount of Bitcoin in circulation. There's no Department of Treasury or bank, per se. Mm-hmm. In other words, you don't have to contact your bank or credit card in order to send money from your account or make a payment on Amazon, for instance. This is, simply put, peer-to-peer form of electronic cash. Now, Bitcoin might be the most well-known and traded cryptocurrency, but there are many other forms, including Ethereum, Litecoin, Doggycoin, In fact, there's an attachment to this podcast, too, that has a little more than 20 other forms of uh, Bitcoin, and these Bitcoin as current as of February of 2019. So Bitcoin allows anyone, or criminals for that matter, to purchase goods and services anonymously through the internet. Okay. So where did it come from? That is probably the million dollar question. (laughs) Um, There's this person, when I say person, uh, Satoshi Nagamoto, who published a white paper in October 2008. We're not even sure if Satoshi's his real name. Um, There was a gentleman, I believe, in San Francisco by the same name, but he's adamantly denied who he is. Interesting. But he published this, uh, this white paper that described Bitcoin digital currency. It was called Bitcoin, a peer to peer electronic cash system. Very interesting. So how how would one go about getting a Bitcoin or Bitcoins? You want to buy some of my Bitcoins? I don't no. know if I want to, but I'd like to know how. I don't have any Bitcoins. <laughs> so. Well, you mine them, or better yet, computers or sometimes banks or rooms of computers actually work to solve complicated math problems. See, that's where I, I, I it stops. Right. For <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Forget it. Well, after the computer, quote unquote, has, uh, I, I guess, solved the math problem, the miners awarded bitcoins. As of February of 2019, whoever solves that math problem first is awarded 12 and a half bitcoins. That happens approximately every 10 minutes or so. So you're not waiting a week or a month for another series of bitcoins to be released. It's actually quite quick. 
as of February 12th this morning, I actually checked the uh, Bitcoin value, and one Bitcoin is worth $3,581.27. Now, you can use that Bitcoin to purchase anything that accepts a form of payment. So your Bitcoin, like I mentioned before, is not the shiny gold coin per Mm -hmm. se. It's actually uh, uh, between 26 and 35 alphanumeric characters. It's what makes your purchase anonymous. It's not Peter Madsen buying some drugs or buying something, uh, airline tickets from Expedia. It's actually uh, using that unique ID to make the purchases along with a private key or password. Um, You keep that information in your digital wallet, which exists on your computer or in the cloud. If you lose your private key or password, it's not one of those where, you know, you lost your password here at work. Well, I'll just email IT and they can reset it. <laughs> Once it's gone, it's gone. Mm. And in fact, uh, we saw in the news just a couple weeks ago, there was a company in, uh, in Canada called Quadriga CX. The owner of the company actually passed away unexpectedly on a trip in India. And the rest of the firm uh, realized they did not have the password to all of their Bitcoin oh, and cryptocurrency wow. accounts. Wow. Then you think, well, that's not that big a deal. We'll have some IT experts come in and maybe we can find the the passwords. Unfortunately, they have not been able to do so. So the losses to the various investors in that company in Canada is about $190 million. Wow, okay. So that money is gone. So in other words, if you have Bitcoin, you have a password or private key, don't lose it. I would think it would make it difficult to conduct business in a situation like that. Like, someone else would have to have access to it. Right. And unfortunately, in this case, he was the only one with, right. with access right. to That's, the, uh, that the $190 million. That is problematic. So, it's obviously, it, it helps you make anonymous transactions. Right. But is it illegal? It's not illegal. And in fact, um, there are many legitimate uses and many companies, including Microsoft, some subway stores. Dish TV and Expedia will actually allow purchases with Bitcoin. And also the the company that you were just talking about in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, it, it was kind of an investment company, but you could certainly buy anything through that company as well. And you can also use certain ATMs will actually allow you to convert your Bitcoin to cash. Interesting. Indeed. Okay, but I know the criminals are using Bitcoin. How are they using it to commit crimes? Well, that's a good question. So they actually leverage their <laughs> ability to be anonymous. Uh, they're not only they're anonymous on the dark web, but now they're like doubly anonymous mm-hmm. if they're using Bitcoin. Sure. So they can buy guns, drugs, stolen credit card information, and like I said, oftentimes this actually occurs on the dark web. So where is this? Where exactly is this happening? You know, my review of federal cases suggests there have been Bitcoin cases in almost every federal district. So all over. Everywhere. Okay. Right. Okay. And I think it's important to know that just because there's a Bitcoin mentioned in the case doesn't mean it's a Bitcoin case per se. Mm. Like I mentioned earlier, in some child porn cases, they've gone in and arrested a drug dealer. Um, they actually had a computer. They were looking for you know drug notes. They actually found child porn and realized he was actually buying faster access um, to some of that child porn with Bitcoin. So while not a Bitcoin case per se, there's Bitcoin involved in, uh, I guess, the relevant conduct potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, it permeates throughout the case. In other cases, um, some defendants have actually set up illegal and unlicensed money servicing businesses where Mm -hmm. individuals can actually exchange cash for Bitcoin. Now, these businesses are typically highly regulated by FinCEN, which is the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. It's part of the U.S. Department of Treasury. Mm. Um, And I guess in some other cases, hackers have taken over a network and asked for ransom in order to allow the individual or company access to their either network or computer system 
the ransom payment is most often in Bitcoin as well. Okay, so that's sort of just a general discussion of the types of cases that you've seen. But right. can you give us uh, a more specific example, maybe involving a real case? Sure. A lot, I think a lot of people have probably heard of Silk Road. Mm -hmm. This was I have. A, good. Believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> Were you ever there? No. <laughs> no, never there. Just heard of it. <laughs> uh, this was a site actually on the dark web that allowed users to buy and sell illegal items drugs, mm -hmm. guns, and a lot of personal identifying information. In 2013, the FBI shut down the site and actually arrested the owner, Ross Albrecht. In May of 2015, Mr. Albrecht was sentenced to life in prison for a myriad of offenses related to Silk Road, mm -hmm. such as drug trafficking, computer hacking, money laundering. Now, what typically happens on the dark web when one site gets shut down, another one pops mm -hmm, up, or maybe sure. two or three pop up. Sure. Mm -hmm. And that was the case here after Silk Road was shut down. There were a couple more sites, including Alpha Bay and the Sheep Marketplace. But before the Sheep Marketplace was taken down by law enforcement, there were two individuals from Florida, this Sean Mackert and a Nathan Gibson. They were arrested and convicted of stealing 5,400 bitcoins from the illegal site. Um, both individuals coincidentally received probationary sentences. But when you look at the value of bitcoins, I mentioned 3,580 some odd dollars, you multiply that by 5,400 bitcoins, that's a $19 million heist. Mm. So something to consider yes. when you're looking at, uh, at your case, whether you're uh, working for the government, working for the defense, or certainly uh, as the probation officer writing the PSR. In uh, another notable case, a father and son, this Randall and Michael Lord, they were sentenced to 46 and 106 months respectively for operating an unlicensed money servicing business. They were uh, exchanging money for bitcoins and neither one of them were registered with FinCEN. Okay. So that's, that is actually very interesting, and i got to be honest with you, even though we've had conversations about Bitcoin in the past, right. <laughs> <laughs> and you've tried to educate me before, I actually learned more today than I ever have. So that's wonderful. I, actually, I know, I feel like I actually understand it now. You can stop asking me for I'll those little bulls. I'll stop asking you. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for joining us. Sure. This wraps up our episode of Sentencing Practice Talk, today brought to you by the United States Sentencing Commission. Thanks so much for listening. And be sure to check back often for new topics. Sentencing Practice Talk, a regular podcast on federal sentencing issues. Please be advised that information provided by the Commission staff is offered to assist in understanding and applying the sentencing guidelines. The information does not necessarily represent the official position of the Commission, should not be considered definitive, and is not binding upon the Commission, the Court, or the parties in any case.